0: Holy Human, where we bring disability and neurodiversity to the pulpit. I'm Serena, and I'm Katie, and today we will be interviewing Brooke.
1: Hi, I'm Brooke.
0: Hello.
2: Brooke, welcome. We're so glad you could join us today. Thank you. Let's jump right in and get to know you first, if you don't mind. Go ahead and share with us who you are, what's going on in your life right now, and just a little bit about your disability for those who haven't heard of your disability.
1: Sure. So I am autistic with a profile of pathological demand avoidance. And you know, I do consider myself somewhat semi speaking. If I wasn't forced to speak when I was little, I probably would have remained a non speaking because my preference is in writing and I have a a degree from Westminster College in English, which is one of my interests. The other disabilities that I have is oral dyspraxia. Um, It makes speech tiring. I have dyscalculia, hyperlexia, dysgraphia, and visual processing differences.
2: Great. I love the way that you broke down how PDA, having PDA with autism, how it's A little bit of a different life than autistic people, how it's a little bit unique. Uh, Do you want to kind of explain that difference for those who haven't heard of PDA?
1: Sure. Yeah, most people, when they think of autistic people, they think of very structured, rule-bound, you know, a need for routine, and PDA is just a bit different from that. We cannot follow rules or structure and direction unless it's our own. Just to help viewers out, I'm going to read a little bit from the PDA website, which is a UK society. And so the PDA has been boiled down to uh, seven extra areas of experience on top of the main autistic experiences, which are one, resisting and avoiding the ordinary demands of life. The key word here is ordinary demands. So that might include getting up, getting dressed, eating, taking a shower, just going to school, wearing clothes, and it will include things that we do like to do. Um, maybe like the expectation of having to do things really kills that ability to do the, the task. So maybe we really want to paint or to draw or to want to want to do those things, and that will just, Make it impossible. It's like an invisible force field. It'll cause panic attacks and, yeah, I'll lose the ability to speak. And there's no real rational explanation except that the demand to do activities just causes a huge amount of anxiety. The second category is using social strategies as part of the avoidance. That means not just saying no, but withdrawing, shutting down, or running away, including making excuses, distractions, physical incapacitation, with kids that might be locking themselves in their room or the bathroom or hiding somewhere, and also withdrawing into fantasy, daydreaming, And then controlling and reducing meaningful conversation, which means like the silent treatment, pretending not to hear you. And the third category is appearing sociable, but lacking some understanding. Again, with autistic communication, we take things pretty literal. That means with PDA, because we are focused on being more social, we're focused very much on people, will mask that, and I'll explain autistic masking in just a, a bit, but I'll pretend to understand what someone is saying and kind of work it out in the background in my mind based on other contexts that I know about. The fourth category is experiencing intense emotions and in mood swings. It means I have a lot of difficulty with emotional regulation. It means rapid mood swings, impulsiveness, and unpredictability. So my mood swings, I've been able to, like, time them. Like, they change every 10 seconds. So I'll be feeling okay and then anxiety and then something else will distract me from that and then I'll feel okay again and then it's just a constant wave of back and forth. And number five is comfortable in role play, pretense, and fantasy. So this really ties into a lot with masking and creating personas that can be adopted for a prolonged period of time and the line between fantasy and reality can sometimes become blurred so all of this persona taking it's so that we can you know, shift the responsibility to a different character so that we can do things and not feel the demand to be responsible or have that expectation of doing an activity Number six is focusing intently, often on other people. And that's one of our main interests. We're very social in nature. Other autistics might be really topical, have topical interests like maps or um, books or, you know, different activities, but we're very much focused on people. And that can be fictional or celebrities Or authors and things of that nature and number seven is a need for control and it's often based in fear and anxiety so basically the PDA brain it has a very low threshold for fear and anxiety and stress living is stressful and so Mm -hmm. those are the main categories
2: okay And do you remember what age you were when you were diagnosed first with autism and then with PDA specifically?
1: Yeah, I'd actually rather not uh, get into diagnosis. That's not something that the autistic community really believes in because diagnosis is a privilege and so it really Mm -hmm. alienates other people. Oh, I see. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I've seen that it takes a long time for people to get diagnosed, period, so
1: mm-hmm. add yeah. in
2: money and access.
1: So okay. we we like to say that we identify as being autistic, and we identify each other and validate oh. each other.
2: Okay, thank you, Brooke. That's really very considerate to people. Yeah. yeah,
1: and actually PDA isn't a diagnosis yet in the DSM. It's something that you have to go through specific a specialist in the uk right now wow which
0: makes quote-unquote diagnosis even harder like if you can't even get mm-hmm. a technical diagnosis as being autistic like getting all the way to the uk without health insurance or resources is almost impossible wow
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay And then
2: you have been a member of the church since you were young, right?
1: Yeah, I was uh, born in the church. I was baptized at eight. And I am into genealogy. And so a lot of my ancestors were part of the first wave of immigrants from Europe who converted and came to build Zion in the West. And I'm not really into that whole uh, narrative of nationalism and religious nationalism, personally, I wish Mm -hmm. they could have stayed in Europe. My brain will almost always pull up conflicting and contrary thoughts and find a way to disagree and not go along with any mainstream ideas and narratives, um, even good ones, unless it resonates with my core. You know, sitting in church, there's something that, you know, I know that the teacher's saying that is either colonialist or fascist or supremacist or spiritual bypassing, like my brain will just get set off and go all red flags and it makes it really stressful to sit in this church because my demand of voice will say, no, 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 that's not true. This is how it actually happened because history is one of my interests. I like things to be portrayed correctly. And so I either will have to get up and leave. Yeah, I just want to take charge of the meeting and set things right. There really is that intimidation to just stay quiet and uh, not cause controversy. Yeah. Even doing that is too much of a demand. Yeah.
2: Do you think if the church was less fearful of controversy or asking questions and clarifying in church settings, do you think that that would be a better environment for you to thrive or do you think that that would still be stressful for you for other reasons?
1: I think it would help because PDA really demands that there is no hierarchy and structure Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. and that's something that we need to thrive because we have to feel like we're in control but other people are also equals and we don't see authority. From the inside, everybody's just the same and we're just trying to get through and we really resent other people coming in and demanding things for us that we don't see as their right to.
2: Yeah. So you've talked a little bit about how PDA is a internal battle, right? We believe that disabled people don't often get a chance to have callings or leadership roles as often as non-disabled people, able-bodied people, neurotypical people. Do you believe that having like a gospel doctrine or a Sunday school teacher calling would be really fun for you? Or do you think it would be challenging because of that disagreement with hierarchy
1: and wanting everyone to be equal Yeah, the idea of callings, yeah, it's just not in alignment, I guess, with me. It would be way too demanding, Mm -hmm. for one, Mm -hmm. and because it's more about people sharing, taking turns with the different roles. You know, the teacher and the students are the same, and they should be teaching me as much as I teach them. And the, the labels and the titles, they just add to that stress of people not seeing themselves as equal enough to talk to a teacher. Mm, That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm just
0: kind of pondering that. I guess I'm trying to take what you said and kind of imagine a church structure, although I guess it wouldn't be a structure then if there's no hierarchy. Right. How, I guess, I mean, this is a huge question. and Maybe if it's too big of an answer, don't worry about it. But, like, what kind of church structure would you imagine as, like, being really fulfilling and in line with your core values and, and the way your mind works in terms of, like, callings like we were talking about or just responsibilities or tasks, I should say?
1: Everything would have to be mutually agreed upon. I guess there's a lot of, like, different structural philosophies that could be looked at, but one that's yeah. really trending in the autistic community is social ecology. It's the ability to maintain a stability while simultaneously recognizing that people have different talents, points of view, and styles, and seeing where those uh, organic unions can come together.
0: Hmm.
1: And it opposes a lot of the standardization that we have. There's no standard way to be a follower of Christ. Everybody has their own unique ways of life and things that they have to deal with. And it's pretty much the society that was described in the Book of Mormon where when people were righteous and they had their needs met and they had rights, they didn't have classes. People nowadays, they think of that as utopian, but it's not.
0: In my mind, that's kind of the definition of a utopia, but I guess are you saying it's not utopian because utopian societies inevitably have flaws, or, like, why do you make that distinction?
1: Utopian is used to mean fantasy, something that cannot really happen.
0: Okay, so you're saying social ecology is feasible, and that's why you don't want to use the term utopian to describe that and what? Mm
1: Right, What happened in the Book of yeah. Mormon. Yeah, social ecology, it's going on right now in nature. In Mormon mythology, we're always taught about the beehive. It's really used to support a hierarchy with the queen and the different layers of heaven and things like that. That's not the actual reality in nature. There's no hierarchy. The bees, they have different roles, but they're there to support each other. The queen doesn't control the hive. Mm -hmm. She just regulates the bees through her pheromones, and that helps them stay on task, like, emotionally. The forager bees, they go out and they bring food, and they bring in everything the worker bees need, that the queen needs. You could say that the bees that have to stay in the hive are, like, kind of disabled, and that everything is focused around their needs. The ones that have to do... You know, the egg laying and the different paths that don't allow them to go out. It's all in cooperation. I mean, even the queen, you think that she's the only one laying eggs. No, the worker bees also lay eggs, and they get a chance as well for their offspring to become queens later on. Yeah, in nature, there isn't that hierarchy that humans, you know, project onto it.
2: I love that you pointed that out because the way the church sees the family, like how the family proclamation is, it almost falls into that where it says men and women have separate roles, the men, what is it, provide and protect, and then the women have their own roles Nurture. in their home, and it changes according to circumstances, but then when you look at the church as the whole, that Kind of goes out the window. We don't really treat yeah. that structure as yeah. the church in a whole, like how a ward works.
1: Yeah, the church has the different philosophies of the members that change over time that really throw that out of whack. Mm-hmm. Because the time when the church was setting up in the 1900s, there was this other philosophy called social Darwinism that everybody was really buying into especially charitable institutions like churches. And that really gave people the idea that people who are able-bodied, who, who are wealthy, they must be morally superior to everybody else because science says so. Before it was, oh, well, God says so, but now it's science that says so. And that leads into the Formation of what we know now as ableism and fascism and our current productivity culture. And also into our current church. And you see this in just about every congregation in the way it polices its members. It keeps people in line. In the case of mm. disabled and neurodivergent people, the entire population, uh, not just in churches, feel that they have the right to dictate to them how to live and be and that their needs and experiences aren't valid. It creates a really psychologically and emotionally dangerous environment. The type mm-hmm. of stewardship or authority most bishops imagine they possess over the congregation leads to psychological abuses.
0: Yep, yep.
1: So that this idea that members meet with their bishops who have no training in social work or psychology to discuss personal and private matters, uh, simply by virtue that they are a bishop, it's asking people to give up a level of control or sovereignty over their lives to their church leaders who are strangers. And that's a huge no like a massive violation of boundaries, not just for PDA autistics like myself, but most disabled people who don't have much control in their lives. This creates a very traumatic power dynamic. People with disabilities, they don't get taken seriously in church because they're not seen as moral authorities over their own experiences Mm. or anything Mm. else in life. And if members speak up about their experiences, They get punished for seeking help. That's one of the reasons why I never trusted any bishop or any church leader with any serious matters over my life because they're just office workers to me. I'm my own authority on me and my relationship with God.
0: I love that so much. I also have a healthy distrust of authority. I don't think I have PDA, but uh, just from other life experiences, I completely agree with everything you just said. You said something really profound. You said neurodivergent and disabled people are not seen as moral authorities in the church and oftentimes not even in their own lives. Mm -hmm. That's something that we're really trying to combat with this podcast to show that we are moral authorities, especially in our own lives, but also we are moral authorities just as much as other people in the church are to the rest of the church. My next question to you is, how can people listening to this interview right now encourage moral authority and recognize the moral authority of disabled people and and neurodivergent people and try to chip away at that unhealthy abuse of authority in the church?
1: Yeah, yeah, so... Again, I would just begin by unlearning a lot of the philosophies that we've been taught in the past and really question what their actual beliefs are. Because a lot of people, when I've talked to them, they will say, well, I've never thought of that before. And it's (laughs) like, yeah, you, you should, you should be thinking about these things. Yep. And it's just another way of learning social skills. Like, these are the new social skills. Learn about Ooh. disabilities. Learn about neurodivergent experiences. You know, being autistic, the minute you come into our community, our different communities, uh, we have our own culture and our own language. And mm-hmm. a lot of neurotypical people, they don't understand that. And so they get confused. They think we're speaking the same language, the same social language. Language, we're not.
2: Mm. I think that would break up a lot of assumptions about autistic people. If people looked at autistic people as a culture in and of itself, I feel like if that concept was understood, there would be so much more respect for the autistic community. And it's not that big of a concept. Like it totally makes sense. Yeah,
1: it's like Spanish speakers listening to French speakers. They both have a root language, but they're very different in sounding. Yeah, people really have difficulty with understanding that, the deep pathologizing of a disability and the culture surrounding it. If you don't mind, I would just like to read off the things that autistic society would like you know, typical people to understand. Yes, please. Sure. Yeah, yeah and that would just uh, clarify some some concepts to put everything in context here. A lot of what I'll be reading is what I've learned because I've spent the past 25 years just connecting, researching, and trying to better understand myself and engage. One is that, again, like I said, autistic people, they have their own culture, society, and way of communication. And that communication is that we're tuned into a physical reality, the literal Uh, We understand the abstract and the globalized thinking, but our main frames of reference are our own bodies and our intense internal states, our senses, observations about our environment, and emotions. And we generally have really heightened physical senses, uh, which is partly why autistics say they relate to animals more than people. We're much more affected by everyday Environments such as light, sounds, and textures being too much, too loud, too rough, too bright. That creates a lot of feelings of anxiety, and our emotions become uh, really heightened as well because of that. And so trying to uh, remain calm and have a sense of security and be focused enough to do things takes up a lot of our energy, especially when we're so... Busy combating our environment that isn't designed for us. There's also the state of being so overwhelmed where we enter hyposensitivity and we don't notice anything and we'll seem distant and zoned out.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, and because our senses are different, many autistics report having higher rates of spiritual experiences. Most of these are not supernatural in nature. It just falls out of neurotypical experience. Also, our brains use one sense at a time. To hear you, I can't be looking at you. The visual input will just take over, and I won't be able to hear anything. And to hear, there has to be silence. Our brains don't filter incoming sensory information. There's no priority list. And I have to manually decide what to focus on and hope hyperfocus tunes the rest out if I can't alter the environment. And keys live in a Goldilocks zone, where their brains auto-adjust their senses for various environments. So everything probably feels comfortable all the time to them. Also, there's no multitasking. If in a group, I can either focus on the group and their physical presence, social dynamics, or the discussion. Not both. Mm -hmm. Work or socializing. Not both. I have to have um, one main area of interest or focus. Otherwise, my skills and abilities are undermined. And that's very much general across the board in the community. Also, our first language is energy. And that ties very much into affective empathy, which is our dominant way of connecting with people. That literally means the ability to feel what others are feeling we sense each other and feel energy and are affected by it. Not all autistics are empathic, but it's a dominant experience. Hmm. Yeah, Cognitive empathy, the ability to intellectually relate and understand other points of view, varies greatly as with other people, but ours is not impaired. We relate to other autistics' neurodivergence just fine. And compassionate empathy, the ability to act on one's emotions to help others is also pretty high. And when it comes to empathy in general, it's not linear or static. Everyone experiences empathy differently depending on their mood and mental state. There's no such thing as anyone ever experiencing no empathy.
0: Can I ask you a question? Uh, Oh, sure. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. And I I don't want to make any equivalence here because I know what I'm going to say might have an emotional charge to it but I have been reading um, just because I'm really interested in different neurodivergencies etc I've been reading a book called Confessions of a Sociopath yeah and it's interesting to me how she describes her experience of not having empathy as like It's own kind of neurodivergence. Um,
1: Yeah, I I just wanted to point it out that in the ASPD community, sociopath and psychopath are slurs. We're really pushing back on that because they do have empathy. It's cognitive empathy. Okay. And they do have feelings as well. They're different, but there's no such thing as no empathy. People are people. And that's, we're pretty exactly. hard on that stance. You know, even with a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder, there is cognitive empathy. Okay. okay. So, yeah, again, we, we would like people to know that there is the issue of the double empathy problem, which is a study, Autistic Scholar uh, Dr. Damien Milton published this research research that shows um, how autistics and neurotypicals have such different experiences of the world and how we communicate that uh, realistically for both neurotypes, communication and empathy was impaired. So there are no inherent deficits in autistic social communication. It's that neurotypicals, they need to learn about us and our culture and not expect us to relate to them uh, just on the basis of being human we're two cultures and there has to be people working toward understanding at this point in time. It's just the autistics who are expected to do the work and not neurotypicals. And we we really do not like that position. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Autism and language really gets a bad rap. I mentioned hyperlexia and that is the ability to begin reading at or before the age of too. And so language is really important to me. And that really gets downplayed in most mainstream um, researches because they think, oh, we don't understand idioms or how to really communicate. And that's not true. It's just that words and speaking are slippery. It's not always a reliable skill. And we often prefer writing. When we speak, we speak plainly. The language. That describes clear intent, and the physical is preferable to socially constructed meanings. So there's no hidden intent or reading between the lines or social baggage or anything that exists in a neurotypical speaking. So that really trips us up of autistics.
2: You mentioned when you emailed us that when you write poetry, it's literally you explaining your experience. For neurotypicals who don't understand your experience, it comes off as like Shakespearean almost, you know what I mean? But it's like you're
1: describing what's happening to your body. Yeah, and I just come up with it off my head just because. And so I'll I'll share it. So if I say Her words rose through me as flames disintegrating my spine, my soul, leaving my body to mingle with the cigarette smoke lingering on her lips, a perverse kiss. I'm not being dramatic. I'm literally describing the physical sensations in my body as I hear a word, someone speaking, and a certain kind of tactile synesthesia that I experience when hearing sounds and words and uh, nothing else. I'm not saying cigarette smoking is bad or good. That's just what my physical body is experiencing. It's experiencing feeling like it's floating and focusing in on Mm -hmm. her lips. Yeah, it, it gets really fun because in my poetry classes at Westminster, we talked a lot about political context and social context, and that was not easy to navigate at all. Again, there's a lot of prejudice with literal language in poetry where they call it just having pretty words like no someone put in the work to arrange those words so that they create an experience yeah also what's really important is that when we do speak uh, we speak in order to share information and uh, connect through mutual exchanges So if someone shares something about an experience they've had, the listener will in turn tell the first speaker about their own similar experience. And that is how we show empathy, by demonstrating how we physically relate to another person's experience and understand them. It's also how trust is formed. Uh, Many autistics would not want to open up to those who do not demonstrate they understand and relate. Words of sympathy don't mean anything to us. We need direct empathy in order to feel safe and connected. And you know, unlike the typical perception of this type of communication, we don't center ourselves in conversation. We are there to pass along information about shared experience or new information that might be interesting or helpful. The content mm-hmm. is more important than the speaker or the conversation itself. And our brains, we don't prioritize information, so we tend to share a lot uh, just in case it, it is important. And it's very extreme consciousness, the way that we speak uh, naturally to each other. It's back and forth like waves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The other things that the autistic people would like people to know is just So we have uh, specializations, which are often called special interests, but that word isn't really preferred. We prefer specialization and has a lot more respect to that. And these Mm -hmm. are activities or topics that our brains uh, latch on to. We don't have control over the topics. Interests choose us. And when we Mm -hmm. have our interests, we experience the same euphoria as when you fall in love. And so we'll spend hours gathering information, making and collecting objects and learning the skills surrounding our interests. So we often become experts in those fields. And these passions are oxygen for us, and they act as our will to live. And a lot of people say that it is literally the only things keeping them alive uh, never come between us and our interests. So, yeah, there's just so much stigma around that. Because it's our way of coping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another really uh, signifies behavior is stimming. And that has been making its way onto TikTok by a lot of autistic advocates and advocates using it for self-expression and to normalize it. And, And that's really great. So I just wanted to clarify what stimming is. It's releasing energy and feelings through movement. And this can be uh, chewing on things, dancing, singing, rocking, uh, mental stimming, uh, daydreaming. It can be drawing, tapping, your toes, pen spinning, uh, rubbing your hands, biting your lip, uh, basically all the natural things that you get told not to do as a child. So all humans stim, like we have to get up and move, but autistic people absorb a massive amount of energy and information from our environment more so than other people and for us to process Mm -hmm. it all uh, we have to move we have to skim and so the the excess energy is released through movement and we can uh, regulate our emotions and senses so that that's the only way that it really allows us to regulate so that we can take in more information it's like constantly removing water that's being poured into a glass so that the glass won't overflow. Without stimming, we go into overload so fast. And unfortunately, even stimming isn't enough sometimes. And so here's the the dreaded uh, meltdowns that most people think of when they think about autistic people. Meltdowns, they occur when we are overloaded from our environment, from being around too many people. Too many physical sensations and our feelings become too much and it erupts. We'll have panic attacks, crying, screaming, other outbursts. And PDA, we're known to just scream and and shout. There could be a lot of swearing and yelling at the other person and saying things to hurt them. And we have no control over that. It just comes pouring out. And there's yeah nothing to do but leave us alone until we're done because we lose physical and mental control of ourselves. And it's like a seizure. And a lot of people, they find it really embarrassing and they don't want people to be around to see that. If you ask a lot of autistic people, they say, do not come near us. Don't touch us. Don't try to hold us or even be in the same room. Even if it's a child, the extra stress that your presence, will add being there. It will just overload us more and prolong the meltdown. And even trying to talk to us, the speech will overload us. We can't talk in that state for the most part. And a lot of autistic children, they die during meltdowns due to being restrained. And that occurs in schools, in public schools. That's a big issue that the community is speaking out about right now.
2: You made this very clear and I just want to emphasize it. Stimming and meltdowns are different from each other. Stimming is positive. Like it's helpful for you, right? To like work through emotions and Mm -hmm. it can happen because of positive things or it can happen because of negative things. It's just a reaction when it's a Mm -hmm. lot of like to get energy out meltdowns are different if someone sees stimming versus meltdowns in public either way give people their space allow them to work through what they need to work through do your best to like ring down stimulating factors if it's loud try to make it quiet you know but don't touch people don't try to move i mean even if someone tried to move you out of the situation do you feel like that would be helpful or still no
1: no no Okay. Yeah, just let the person be wherever they fell, if they fall. Because, again, the the touch will just overload. Okay.
2: So neurotypical people, if they witness either stimming or meltdowns happening, if they can clear up overstimulating situations like sense overload, do that. But if not, give them their privacy and their respect and allow them to work through it. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Okay. See, another thing, part of autistic experience our shutdowns, that often comes with burnout. And that's when we've been overworking and we used up all of our internal resources, either through having a job, going to school or socializing. When that happens, we can go into catatonic states and lose our abilities to read or speak and function. And it often looks like depression, but it's not, and it can't be treated that way. When that happens, it feels like the world has fragmented with the pieces of information floating everywhere that your brain can't put together or translate anymore. Burnout can last for a very long time or a very short time, depending on how quickly the body recovers. Yeah, that can be in a a traumatic experience itself, because not a lot of people understand burnout and shutdowns neurotypical society they really underestimate the need for us to have rest and alone time and the seven day work week that that's overload. A lot of autistic yeah. that I know online can only work two hours a day and then they're they're done. So that's something that we're looking at changing for the future when it comes to accessibility of work. And
2: disabled people in general would probably high-five you on that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's
2: very difficult.
1: Yes,
2: Folks, we are so sorry to leave you on a cliffhanger, but that is the end of part one of our interview here. Huge thank you to Brooke for meeting with us. Part two will come out in just a few days.
0: You can find us on Instagram at holyhuman. W-H-O-L-Y H-U-M-A-N and on Facebook at Holy Human Podcast. Email us if you would like to be involved and be an interviewee. Our email is holyhumanpodcast at gmail.com and all of our episodes with full transcripts are available at holyhumanpodcast.com and thank you to Massive for our intro and outro music. We accessed it through freesound.org. And that is it, folks.